Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good, Frank. Good to see you. What's new? Oh, man. Great week. Uh, relaxing week. This weekend, my um, niece had her 10th birthday party. Oh, right so on. that was fun. Did you do like bouncy type stuff? Or what? No, actually, uh, it was like her third or fourth party. My sister <laughs> had like her, fam- her friends over. You know, they had a little family thing. And then this was just mainly like uh, me, my brother, my sister, and then my parents. Oh, right on. Yeah, Kayla came. Um, amazing. That like, was cool. Yeah. When I was a kid, you, <clears throat> it was one big birthday party, and <clears throat> I think the main event was pin the tail on the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Now she has a, a party with her friends. She had a party with yeah. like, her family. It's like a month-long so, adventure. That's the thing. It was more like uh, her third or fourth celebration. Yeah. But it's just so cute, you know, seeing the, all the life and energy she has at 10, you know, her just trying to, like, figure out the world and putting the pieces together. And so it's just cool kind of being there to kind of chat with her, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because 10 years old, they're coming in, there's, there's something. To, That's it. Like, the, the programming's like, now starting to set in, you know? They're figuring like, out what they are. <laughs> Wait a minute. What's that, going on here? That's it. <clears throat> so, it's cool. She's uh, very much kind of developing her own little identity, too. It's really funny. She's like, um, you know, through, like, the music and clothing and just her style and all that. What kind of music is she into? Well, she's into rock and roll, actually. So, it's super cool. But, <laughs> I'm, yeah, she, well, she, like, came over. Yesterday, she was in a Rolling Stone shirt. But she has, oh, really? Like, yeah, she has, yeah, she has, like, her Nirvana shirt. Parental influence. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's, it's very cool, <laughs> you know, um, watching her kind of take to her own little style and stuff. Yeah. You know all what right, I mean? That's cool. That's yeah. cool. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, it was a busy week, but uh, it was good. Yeah, it was really good. So, um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, just... So, um, this week we're excited. Um, we had one of our listeners, Thomas, reach out to us and um, ask us about a gentleman named Dr. Emmett Fox. Yeah. And so, Frank and I got the email. Uh, we took a look at it, and we said this is a perfect opportunity for us to kind of dive in and, and do an episode on somebody that, you know, we have not covered. Um, surprisingly, you know, Dr. Emmett Fox is and always has uh, had a large presence, you know, kind of in this new thought community. And so um, this week's episode should be kind of a cool little introduction to who uh, Dr. Emmett Fox was, um, a little bit of history on him, and how he kind of relates to some of the teachers and speakers Frank and I have already covered. Yeah, because he was pretty much contemporaries of Joseph Murphy, Yep. And Neville got it. So you hear a lot of cross-reference, even though like... Um, Especially Neville. Yeah. And what, what I mean is they, all three of them, and there's others too, but they utilize the Bible from a different perspective in reading it. And instead of a literal form, they uh, was more uh, metaphysics and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, spiritual. Absolutely. So a different way of looking. Kind of reminds me of also Franklin Scoville Chauvin. Remember when we did that episode on her? Yeah, actually, she mentioned him. She mentions uh, Emmett's... Uh, Emmett Fox in her one of her books and talks. So oh, really? She yeah, references mentioned, him? Yeah, she referenced him. And they were all around the same time. Like, he was born in uh, 1886. Yep. Um, Joseph Murphy was born in... Um, and actually, he was born in Cork County, uh, County Cork as well in Ireland. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was born, like, in 98, something like uh, 1898. So they were, they were contemporaries, and, you know, him and Joseph uh, Murphy... Were uh, you know came from the same country. They yep. made their way over to uh, the York. United States, New York as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Neville Goddard was from Bay Boda, uh, uh, Barbados and yep. made his way to New York as well. So um, you know. I feel like back in that time, the only place you really could go was New York. Um, you know, well, yeah, it was a mecca. And yeah, that's kind of like where you went. There or California. I know, yeah. no, um, like at the end, um, 
Neville Goddard made his way to California. I think Joseph Murphy did as well. So that's cool. Yeah, but um, yeah. So, but uh, they all they all use the translation of the Bible, and they kind of um, do it from like I said, metaphysics and spiritual rather than a um, historical event that was occurred. One point that I want to bring up too that I when I was researching Emmett Fox was. Uh, I love the uh, fact that he was a, a Jesuit, you know, so he went to it. He was taught, you know, by Jesuit priests in college. It sounds mm. like the university went to was a Jesuit university. I went to a Jesuit high school. And so I remember being taught by Jesuit priests. And it's the type of thing where um, I I do a crude summary. But I mean, Jesuits are kind of like the badasses of Catholicism. They're kind of like the forward thinking um, uh um, members more, of the, of the church, if yeah. you will, like they they were taught to go out and seek the truth and seek the truth in all religions. Yeah. Um, a lot of you know uh, Catholicism, Christianity, etc. is like, oh, this is this is the way. This is the only answer. You know, um, this is God. And the Jesuits were onto something very early on. Like, no, hey, look, if, if we can find you know or. These these religions and these um, you know cultures that we've had all of our lives they can't all be wrong. There must be some sort of truth in each of them. And so the Jesuits, you know, were big believers in seeking the truth. And so I think that was a big role in his development. You know, from a personal opinion, you know, and somebody who was Jesuit edu- educated, I remember like that was something that they always challenged us or was on the forefront, which is seek truth in everything, find truth. In all, you know, wherever you can find truth, there, there's truth. It doesn't have to come uh, solely from a Catholic teaching. Um, in fact, a lot of uh, Jesuits, you know, went and became Zen Buddhist teachers, or you know, they they also practiced the Zen aspects of. Um, I don't want to. I don't know if I'd call that a religion, but um, they they practiced. Um, there is there is Zen practices that they also would follow, and they would find these truths. And I always thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, well, what they do is, and what he does and other people do, they just strip away the doctrines. Yeah. So if you take any, if you take uh, Christianity from the basis, it's a philosophy, a way of living, and uh, Emmett Fox gets into that. Like, if you follow these principles, it will guide you through life. Um, yeah, and every, even Buddhism wasn't a religion. It was a philosophy. So you can, people have made it into religions. They use doctrines. And I, I get the I get the understanding why people use doctrines. It's like a guideline: do this, do that. It's like telling people like uh, eat a certain amount of calories a day and you'll lose weight. Um, yeah, it doesn't work for everyone that way. It's how we think about it, how we exercise it. So, but there is some correlation there, right? Of of doing, of mixing in the belief on something and utilizing the outside world. Uh, um, you know, exercising something. Mm-hmm. But when you strip away the doctrines, you start to see the truth. Because the truth isn't in the doctrine. That may be a part and parcel uh, component of it, but it's not it. It's just an act that we do, and everyone has a different way of expressing it. So, Well, not it yeah. you talk about. That's what cannot be named. No, it can't. Once you name it, it's, you know, categorize it, and all of a sudden you lose it. Like, that's said throughout even the Bible, but once you, you know, to, to um, define God is not to know God. Uh, like the Tao, it's like to name the Tao is yeah, yeah, exactly to not know the Tao, and you can't. It's kind of like we, as individuals, we can have an experience with God, but we can never define or explain God 
but we can have experiences and everyone does. So, but we, hey, on perspective shift, we try to get as close as we can <laughs> without uh, smashing the hell out of it. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's we, our goal. yeah, because we're not here to, um, we're just here to expand upon the idea of something to get people to do it. And that's why I think with, with uh, Emmett Fox, he also gets into the, um, like, uh, principles of doing stuff and actually acting on it. Like, yeah, one of the books is, um, um, was it the seven? Oh, the seven golden keys. The seven. Go- or no, no. That, sorry, the seven uh, mental habit, right? Diet. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The seven day mental hab- uh, diet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, that pretty, it's pretty interesting. When you start with that, you try, you don't try, but you sit there, and any negative thought comes up, you just let it pass on. If it, if you get a reaction from it, like you start to react from it, you have to start it over. But the purpose of this is to go seven days without reacting to any negative thought. It's thoughts will come up. That's no big deal. But when the thought comes up, you're just like, hmm, let it go go on. And from that moment on, you continue going seven days, and this will literally change your life. Um, but, yes, if you do get reactive to something, you have to start over at that moment. And typically, uh, he suggests that you wait a day or two before you start over again. Um, again, this is nothing to rush through. This is a lifelong lesson. But if you can get through seven days of um, the mental diet, um, it will literally cha- uh, transform the way you think. and uh, But this is something we're supposed to do every day. I mem- He mentioned this. You can sit and meditate for two hours, but if you can't take that with you throughout the day, it's a waste of time. So we should be meditating and following these principles all day long. The meditation in the morning that I do is a kind of, it realigns me. Maybe I was out of whack a little bit with my thinking, but then if I don't carry that out into the day, it's like, you know, it's almost like eating, um, you know, if, if people get into diets, like eating a great salad and eating cake for the rest of the day, you know, <laughs> right. it, the salad would have done nothing in, 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 uh, in essence. So, um, so the more, the better we get at this, the greater we get at this, I should say, um, and follow these principles, we're more conscious of it. Um, the easier it is to stay on track. And what I mean is when I do have a negative thought right now, I actually drop it. I don't blame the outside world anymore. And I no longer like, what's wrong with me? Um, that's ineffective. That's blaming me. But ultimately, I kind of snicker at it and laugh and, and then move on. And it is something I've been practicing for years. Um, and I still fall into it. But now my response and reaction are so quick. And when I get over it, I'm kind of laughing about it. Like, <laughs> I can't believe That's yeah. still there, huh? Yeah. 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 And it is. Um, but you know, situation, circumstance that may have not happened that is similar to one that happened like five years ago, or 10 years ago might arise and your old way of uh, reacting to it came out. But now I realize, wow, if this happened 10 years ago, I would have been justified in my grievances. Now I'm like, I can't justify this. Why? I don't want to. Why? Because I don't like the way it, it feels. It doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve me. I don't like yeah. the way it feels. And so Emma Fox really gets into this, and um, and he nails it. Yeah, he does. Yeah the the seven so the seven day mental diet too thing. And I know Emmett would say this exact this is this is a guideline, guys. This isn't oh for the next you must do this seven days to obtain uh, it this. It could take you a year. This Christ consciousness. This. No, like it, w- this is a tool. Uh, that that's yeah. what we're taught. The same the Bible is a tool, and these are different tools that you know Dr. Emmett <clears throat> Fox was trying to provide. Yeah. which is, hey, look, okay, so we have these thoughts that come up. We attach to them each and every day thinking that we are our thoughts, but we are not. You know, whatever thought of doubt, uh, a weird thought, a, you know, uncomfortable thought, whatever, these will arise. And it's 
how we attach to them or most, most importantly, not attach to them, you know, that allow us uh, more control of our lives. Um, our thoughts don't need to steer the direction of the boat, if you will, or steer the direction of, of the plane. Um, we have the ability, um, as these thoughts arise, to simply not attach to them and let go of them. And that's what he's talking about. If something, if we're attaching to something and, it, and it's bringing us down and, and we're, you know, in this uh, mental struggle with it, that's when we would take a break, start over, and get back with it. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing that should arise that should allow us to give our power away. Yeah. And, and so take take the uh, thoughts and transfer it into or connect them to what food, right? So when you're actually on what we call a physical diet, um, all, all food is available to you, all right? You may stock your refrigerator differently, but you go out, it's all available to you. But what are you choosing? So you might look at the chocolate cake in the refrigerator, but you're choosing something else. And I'm just using this as an example, right? Um, and that's how the mental diet is. So when you start to like choose what thought will work in your favor, make you feel good, and what thought won't. So the thought that doesn't, let it go. Um, it, it doesn't serve you in any way. It, it doesn't even uh, help you resolve the issue. Actually, it slows the issue down. So even if somebody uh, harmed you or did you wrong, letting go of that, getting to a state of forgiveness will get you beyond the point. And what it does, what it typically does or basically does, it gets you to a higher level to where you could see the solution rather than being stuck where the problem lies. You know, yep. And that's what these principles are for. Um, but there isn't a way to get there. And I believe it's kind of like one of Emmett uh, Smith's quotes about the everyone, every Bible that should be... Oh, yeah, I love this. Okay, yeah. yeah. So he said that the first statement in every Bible should read... Um, I wrote it down somewhere. Yeah. It is all about you. It is. And it's, how, it's your relationship, not mine or Mike's perspective on it, but it's your relationship to all these uh, passages or what have you look at it. Where, what's your relationship with it? And that's first and foremost, just like your relationship with God is yours. Um, I think that's so powerful. It is. and But everyone's always trying to compare notes and then like, oh, how, do you, well, how did you like get back to weight? How did you lose weight? I did this, this, this. Someone goes home and tries to do it and it, they don't have the same result. Yep. Because it, their relationship would, would be completely different. They're in a different place. That's it. So we stop doing it. The only thing I need to know, it's possible. If it's possible, then I will find my direct route to it. And typically, basically, and um, Emmett Fox is huge on this, and he talks about this in the uh, Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. I like I like the breakdown of it because that's what he does. He breaks down things really well, specifically from the Bible. Yeah. So yes, and in that, um, the Four Horsemen, the Four Horses. Uh, you know, um, you had Pale Horse which is the focus on the physical world, everything from how we look, the money, and everything else. And you completely attach to that. Um, and the thing is, we live in the physical world, so it's, it's understanding it and utilizing it. So the pale horse can be a wonderful tool, but if you only live by that, it will take you down. And then the red horse is your emotions. Again, your emotions and guidelines. When we know how to use them, they're brilliant tools. But if you focus solely on that, uh, which is very similar to the pale horse, it will take you down. And then we're seeing a lot of this now um, with the black horse. The black horse is the uh, intellect, mm -hmm. and a lot more intellects on the planet now because uh, 
It's at our fingertips everywhere. Everything. Information's at our fingertips. Um, But with intellect, without insight, is dangerous. So it's not about um, not having intellect. Use your intellect. The intellect's like a a samurai sword. Sharpen it. But what a samurai does before even grabs a sword, it learns how to wield a, a bamboo stick. So... Unless, like, if you don't know how to wield it, you're going to actually hurt yourself and others. And I believe intellect is to upheave people, uplift people, not to take them down. And today I watch a lot of intellectual discussions with very brilliant people that read a lot and have, but they're there ripping people down to make themselves feel right. And I'm like, it wasn't meant that way. And And that's a misuse of the intellect. Yeah. So it's not about doing away with the intellect. Being ignorant doesn't help you. Intellect is a great tool. So then you go to the fourth horse, which is the white horse. That's the spirituality of things. So that's the metaphysics. When you start with the white horse, the pale, the red, and the black work brilliantly. But if you start with the three on the outer world, you never make it to the spiritual realm. It's kind of like putting the cart in front of the horse. In this case, you got four horses. But exactly. So we th- these are how humans live. So because we're in this physical plane still, you don't get rid of the pale, the red, or the black horse. You don't do that. You just know how to utilize them in your team. So if you have a team of four horses, which horse is leading? It should be the white horse. The other three should follow. And that's kind of it. It's kind of like the ego is part and parcel of the other three, the pale, the red, and the, and the black. But the, the God within us, the great imagination within us, is the white horse. And that's kind of it. So he breaks that down from that standpoint. doesn't make it uh, historical. It's just a psychological understanding of the uh, premise of the uh, four horsemen in the apocalypse. And, and that's what Emmett Fox does so brilliantly. As he, yeah. takes, he takes the Bible, just, just like a Neville Goddard, just like a... Joseph Murphy, just like all of these different people we've gone over, he takes it and he breaks it down and makes it digestible. Um, yeah, but if you actually go, like a lot of people don't, and and I know this because I didn't a lot of times. I'd read books on Neville Goddard and Joseph Murphy and, and um, Fox, but I wouldn't necessarily go read the Bible, but I started doing that, like referencing back. So if I'm going to talk about this to some degree, I'm not going to take anyone's word for it. I'm going to go back in there. And there is no indication in the Bible from what I, and I haven't studied a lot, so I'm not like a purist study on this, but I don't see any indication of historical events in there um, in, in, uh, in what we talk about. So a lot of it, um, so if you want to take it literal, you can. But um, on the show, we're, and, you know, um, Emma Fox is talking about, yeah, talking about from the metaphysics and the spiritual sense of it, the metaphors, what what do these stories project? That's kind of what we're out here, and that's what the Bible is. It's a tool. Yeah, it's a tool. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a you know these parables, these stories, they're there for us to you know um, be able to interpret um, these concepts that are sometimes hard to explain in words. Yeah, you know it's it's generated by feeling, you know, and by experience, and so um, how can you do that with anything other than you know? parables stories and that's just it and even if like uh someone like an an emmett fox was still alive he he would probably still be writing books on these things with a slightly different angle and twist on it Mm -hmm. you know because i think he died in 1951 and so it's every time you look at something you can you can shift to perspective the higher we go up and we we continue to move higher we have a different look on the valley 
but we stuck in the valley, you can only see the mountain in which you are determined to climb. But once you start making your way up the mountain, you start elevating, all of a sudden now you have a view of the valley, and that doesn't change. It's the higher you get up, the broader it gets, so you, you see the landscape differently. Mm-hmm. And this is what, you know, if we have a purpose here, it's to expand. And the more I expand, the more the world around me expands, and we help each other. We aren't the individuals that are going to save the world. There's, you know, we get into a collective conscious of understanding, and the world will be supreme. It's when we're arguing, fighting, and breaking up the collective conscious, that's when things break down. Separating ourselves. Yeah, so you have to set aside the ego. No one individual. Um, there are individuals that could change a mass of people to look at things differently. But they themselves would never take credit for it because they're just following the laws that regulate this universe. They didn't come up with them. Like Einstein didn't create equals MC squared. He discovered it and was able to explain it to the rest of the world. And these laws are are available to each and every one of us. Yes. It's not like only a select few are able to operate within these concepts that Frank and I are talking about, that Dr. Emmett Fox is talking about. These are available to every single one of us. We all have these capabilities, and that's what's so powerful about uh, what Dr. Emmett Fox has been sharing for years. And we go back and we look at all these people, you know, born in the 1800s, talking about these concepts that are now just really starting to become mainstream, if you will. This new thought, this new age, you know, type of conversation of, hey, look, this we are not just living in a physical world. There very much so is a non-physical world. And like Nikola Tesla said at the best, he's like, the moment that we and our science begins to study the non-physical, uh, 10 years of that will be um, uh, 10 years of studying the non-physical. I forgot the quote exactly, but it's essentially um, will eclipse all of the of the study on the physical that we uh, physical studies that we've done on the world for the last 10 years. For us to truly understand our being, we need to stop focusing on the physical and focus on the non-physical. Yeah. And that's what, you know, Emmett Fox, these different teachers that we cover, that's what they're talking about. Um, another big thing that I like about Emmett Fox is the fact that uh, he makes he made a comment. I forgot what it was, but essentially what he was saying was the he's not. So he was a he was a minister. He was an ordained minister and it was called like uh, it was called like the First Church of Divine Science. Does that sound yeah. right? First Church of Divine <laughs> Science. So this was in New York, et cetera, but what... Yeah, I think it was like the 1930s. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, was right it, around there. Was it? No, 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 that was when his first book came out. When was? When did that start? 1906, maybe? 1906. Yeah, right. I was going to say that sounds yeah. more right. But um, early on, you know, it was started, and this church that he talks about, and what he talks about is, hey, look, we're not here to create another religion. This is not what this is about. We're here to show everybody, you know, um, what... What is omnipresent? What's always been here? What your power is? What you're capable of? Um, in fact, you don't need to attend a church each week to experience what we all have called God. Um, God is not male. It's not female. It's 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 the it's all omnipresent. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. Yeah. And so that was a big focus of his. That I think you know, especially early on, to see that carry through today is just beautiful. Well, and also, too, keep keep in mind when you look at the historical event, even by the time he got to it, it was already 2,000 years, especially from the understanding of the New Testament was written. Um, he obviously, obviously talks about the Old um, the old Testament as well. 
So it's not like new, but there's something interesting in history um, around that time. You know, up until like the late 1800s, um, science, the science world was still based on the physical world, what we call Newtonian physics. Mm-hmm. Quantum physics wasn't really um, coined yet. It wasn't looked at. It was in the late 1800s into early 1900s when quantum physics, and what is quantum physics? It's the science of um, energy, yep. where Newtonian physics is the science of matter. Physical matter. That's what we've been living our life yeah, by the, for the last 130 plus years. And again, years. there's nothing wrong with that. Like, in other words, in order to function this world, I need to know that how gravity works. I need to know how the physical matter works. But when you actually understand where it comes from, it comes from the energy source, then you can actually mold it and create it and you have more control of your life. It's not about getting rid of Newtonian physics. It's about incorporating. Again, so Newtonian physics would be the pale horse, the red horse, the black horse. And quantum physics would be the white horse. When you understand the energy, E, right? And then it equals MC squared, which is the physical matter of everything. It actually equates. But you don't have MC, you know, MC squared equals E. It's E, energy. So when we start with the energy first, the white horse, we start with the spirit. We start with God, if you will. Then go into the physical world. And God, you know, I look at it, you know, Emmett, Fox talks about this. It is our great imagination, you know? So it's within us. My personality is just acting out the great imagination. So my personality is not God, but there's a connection I have to God in me. And it's, you know, the, the only example I could get, it's your imagination. Other than that, it's like once I label what God is, it's no longer God. Yeah, you've cheapened it. You've cheapened it. We can't label that which is unlabeled. (laughs) But there's something about our imagination, and you can imagine, you know, (laughs) hell of a high water, or you can imagine like a a great life. Um, That will play out in the physical world. So the physical world is not to be detached from um, entirely. It's just to allow it to flow like you're you're going down a river in a boat. Just let it flow and see where it takes you. But you don't get off the boat and get to the bank and not enjoy the ride, so to speak. Exactly. Frank and I, when we were looking for clips this week, you know, for different clips, I we were struggling to find stuff like direct audio, you know, um, of uh, Mr. or Dr. Emmett Fox speaking. Um, so we do have some different clips today that we, we can kind of start with. Uh, these are from ones that we found online. They're, there's a lot of good content out there as far as, you know, on his literature. Um, as far as him speaking and publicly speaking, it's not like that of Neville Goddard where he recorded a lot of his lectures, which is honestly surprising. One of the cool facts that I learned about Emmett Fox when we were doing this is just how big his audiences really were back in this time. Um, he was, you know, speaking at Carnegie Hall. He was holding, you know, uh, lectures with hundreds thousands of yeah, people like, present like 5,000 a week yeah yeah, yeah. 5,000 people back mm. in this time you know coming to listen to this gentleman speak and that is extremely powerful you know um the effect that he had on these different audiences and so I I, I found it kind of funny and and crazy that I wasn't able to find like an actual video of him speaking himself but yeah so if anyone out there has any clips or can lead us to it to please him. share yeah, them because obviously <clears throat> Emmett Fox is another um person we're going to 
you know, do over and over. Yeah, he uh, yeah. he would be one we would absolutely revisit, just yeah, like uh, that yeah, of a Neville. Mo- yeah, most of them we will, but it's it's like especially him. It's kind of there's so much content. We're just giving an overview right now and leading people into discovering it and uh, checking it out because uh, the principles that he goes by it will literally. If you're having a difficult time in life right now, this will definitely set you straight. It'll help you out. Uh, look at life differently from the place and where you are. Just It's really flipping it around. And, yeah. and another good thing about Emmett Fox, too, for those you know who may push back on religion sometimes, you know, like, ah, like uh, that, that's not for me. Religion's not for me. They think it's too, like, uh, controlling or conforming. Like, Emmett is uh, somebody who is speaking from a very neutral place when yeah. he's using the Bible, uh, you know, for the reference. He's not talking about this... Um, uh, man in the clouds that will forsaken you and rain hell upon you if you do not follow his will. Like, no, 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 no. He's talking about the omnipresent. He's talking about this ether. Everything around yeah. us is God. And so when you kind of loosen up on that and allow yourself to to dive into his work, you'll find this new and beautiful appreciation for the different parables and stories and scriptures, you know, that are found in the Bible. And this this really happened for me, you know, somebody who was born and raised Catholic, went to Catholic school my whole life, found myself pushing away from religion, you know, um, in my early formative years, being like, what the hell is going on? This just doesn't feel right. The reason it didn't feel right is because I was trying to have this a BS narrative crammed down my throat, you know, about heaven and hell being separate and just like um, a, a very um, third dimensional. Um, uh, what's what's a good way to describe how religion can sometimes be viewed nowadays? You know well, what I mean? Yeah, it's it's just kind of they they set they set forth doctrines. If you follow this, it's almost like if somebody like a you know a nutritionist said. Okay, if you want to lose weight, this is the diet to do, and that's they stuck to one diet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but the thing is, food, food, and uh, maybe correlated to diets, but it's not the direct uh, ascendant of a diet. No, if food is just food. So, if you can separate the Bible from Christianity, because Christian Christians use the Bible, and if you go to the Old Testament, uh, so it's Judaism. Mm-hmm. But if you learn to separate it from any religion, you'll get great benefit. But by no means, like if you're a religious person, Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, it, it doesn't matter. This will just give you a different perspective onto your religion. It doesn't mean you have to change religion. Not at all. Yeah, because it's just a different way of looking at it. Because uh, I think in the past when people uh, were trying to separate stuff and they started, what, what I always found odd is like if you were, if you were this religion, that religion, um, and I get why they do it, like kind of the way we separate it from our parents to get our own ideas we kind of dismissed our parents. But to no, no, to no end and no prevail, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. What, I, what we realize is we're more like our parents than we think. There are certain, certain things that we expanded upon beyond the point at which they knew, which that's every generation should. But the Bible, um, when you look at it separately from any religion, but you could also see how it's in, 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 entwined, mm-hmm. um, I try not to go and knock any religion because that would be um, wrong of me because, um, you know, I was raised Catholic too. I just have a different way of looking at Catholicism than I did in the past. It's my personal religion now, um, if you look at it that way. I don't need to knock it because when you end up, I know this intellectually, so here comes the black horse. If I intellectually start knocking a religion, <laughs> it's not going to do me any good. No. Nope. It's not. 
But if I understand where these came from, and it's okay, okay, I can have a different look on it. You don't have to disassociate or, or disassemble. You just see how, oh, now I get why it was started, why that doctrine was there. But it doesn't, um, the, the attributes of doctrines and stuff like that are always fleeting. But the essence of the religion, whatever religion, will, ne- will always remain the same. And in this case, the Bible is really good at pointing that out. No matter what religion you are, you know, I don't care what religion you are, uh, the Bible and other even uh, type of uh, spiritual readings you can read. I'm like, you know, but some people hear the Bible and they think, oh my God, these Bible pushing, mm-hmm. you know, Christians and stuff like that. And yeah, they're out there. But, I, I guess but I think too, they like mean well, but. when you feel yourself resisting something. Um, there's something to discover there. At least I learned that about myself. Yeah, and that's if you take if you take the book, um, and it doesn't matter what it is, and you take it into your own study by yourself. Nothing is going to invade you. It's not like you're going to a cult. So sit there and read it, and just kind of like, you know, let it come in. Read a couple of passages, see what it says, see how it talks to you. Um, sometimes having somebody else's interpretation will give you a kickstart. But what's your interpretation? Because my interpretation of um, stuff will be slightly different than Emmett Fox. But yet, I, I don't believe it would be an argumentative one. It would just be like, oh, I never looked at it that way. Correct. And because where, where we are, it's, um, I have different analogies because I lived at a different time than him. But yet, the essence of what they're talking about, whether it's Emmett Fox, um, Waldo Emerson. Yeah, yeah Ralph um, Waldo Emerson. Yeah. Um, he was a big influence on. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think they were. Con- yeah. and, and many, yeah. Oh, honestly, yeah. many yeah. individuals we've covered have brought. Like Wayne Dyer loves um, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's just their angle and how they took it. And obviously, he, him being a writer of fiction and stuff too would also imbue it into his work. So it actually, whenever you do that in this in in type of fiction stuff, you can actually get the masses to look at it differently without any. Because if, it, if it's nonfiction, it's like, oh, what are they trying to say here? But if it's fiction, it's like, oh, it's an interesting way of looking at it. But it actually helps open people's minds to a different way of looking at it. And and that's what we see in a lot of our, like, movies and television. Yeah. You know, uh, subtle things, you know, with whatever. But um, we kind of float it out there as if as if it's a fictional type of thing. When in reality, there's, there's a lot of different truths out there. Yeah, you know. Is anything really fiction, right? That's it. Yeah. Like or the, what is real? You yeah. know, we we claim we live in a physical world, but you know, we have discovered, you know, through science, uh, every atom that makes up this table is moving right now. You know, and there is nothing solid, truly, about well, this table. Yeah, the atom itself has no matter to it. It's that's just, it. There's no mass. Electromagnetic field. That's that's contained. Our bodies are technically no mass. Yes, we yeah. can weigh them, etc. But when you when you can loosen up on this, everything is a material world, and I'm working my th- way through this material world. You then begin to experience the non-physical, yeah. which it doesn't take, you know, A plus B to get to C. You can go from A to C uh, in a moment. Yeah, yeah. So, like when you look at the, you know the physical world, you got the uh, pale horse, the red horse, and the black horse. They have weight to them, but the white horse has no weight. So. Um, yeah, I once heard like like if I would if I was to weigh weigh myself right now and then a minute later di- um, I would to die I would weigh the same I think but yep. I think there's like a couple of grams they they try to figure out I don't, like is would, there is there any weight yeah I remember hearing it they made a movie about it I, I forgot how many grams like 
three grams or something. So like what that. we call that the soul, the soul weight. Yeah, so right? it has some weight, but it the weight itself is insignificant to where you can basically weight it. But that's the light, the light body. It's our soul body. So when we actually go from that and understand that and actually become nurturing that, the physical world actually works better for us, works in a greater level for us, I should say. But when we're stuck in the physical world, we actually starve our um, spiritual world. So start... start. That's where we're... Yeah. 90, 99% of yeah. the world's at. That's why we're so tired. That's why we're so divided. That's yeah. why we're always burnt out. We talk about burnout and all this stuff as if it has anything to do with work. Yeah. Well, you'll go a weekend, two days without work, you know, and you'll come back on Monday. And I don't care if you slept all weekend and feel great. There's still like this... Ugh, burned out feeling. But I believe I, you know, I, I, I haven't done a census, so we say ninety nine percent. I believe the numbers are dropping. You're right. Because when Emmett Smith wrote his books, this was like in the like I think um, um, late eighteenth, early nineteenth. Well, it was um, his um, the one that uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount. Oh yeah, yeah. It was like nineteen thirty. Okay, I believe. Cool. I, I, I could be wrong. That's on, but, one of his biggest. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we've as a society, as a global community have changed since then. Um, I don't like, I, I don't pretend to know a percentage, but when I, when I have conversations with people around me and I, I look at that from the, um, a microcosmic understanding of the universe. And if the universe is laid out in this fractal understanding, microcosmic, uh, universe, um, I could get some bit of a census from my understanding and people are like, well, you, you you imbued that. I'm like, well, so do other people. I'm like, I'm I can't it's not because everyone walked into my room, everyone becomes spiritual. I'm like, that's absurd. I'm like, how do I know they weren't the spiritual person I walked into their room? But we're we're seeing more of these conversations. Obviously perspective shift is just one show of many that are talking about this where years ago you didn't have it. So I believe we're turning the corner on focusing on the quantum field, right? Because quantum physics was coined, I think, in like nineteen twenty five. Um, and the understandings of science is still uh, figuring things out there and proving stuff that's happened that, you know, the, the Niels Bohr and the Einsteins of the world were talking about back in the you know, early 1900s are starting to come to fruition because we're starting to see the, the change in what we call technology. But it's the, it, why is technology changed so rapidly and quickly? It's because we're understanding the, the um, energy side of it, not just the physics side of it. Right? Yeah. yeah. So let's check out this uh, clip from Emmett Fox. All you have to do is this. Stop thinking about the difficulty, whatever it is, and think about God instead. This is the complete rule, and if only you will do this, the trouble, whatever it is, will disappear. It makes no difference what kind of trouble it is. It may be a big thing or a little thing. It may concern health, finance, a lawsuit, a quarrel, an accident, or anything else conceivable. But whatever it is, stop thinking about it and think of God instead. That is all you have to do. Couldn't say nice. it any better. I was going to say, <laughs> nice, simple, yeah. to the point. That, that's the thing I like about him, too, is like when I, a lot of his books are not big. They're small. They're right to the point. Like, um, I think it was when he wrote... Uh, um, a Sermon on the Mount, he's like, I could have made this book like three times as, as big. Right. But his challenge is to actually make it even smaller than it was because we tend to complicate things. We get long, we get lost in the explanation of things and we get too much explaining, kind of like what I do all the time. 
<laughs> hey, we lose. We lose what the hell we're talking. Yeah, yeah. We lose the the essence of what we're talking about, and so he keeps it very short, very practical. And if you literally um, utilize it in that form, you can see it work for you, and it'll work different for you than others. And and um, that's kind of you know how I look at it. He's he brings a very practical use to it. It's not just. It doesn't just sound good. That's it. If you actually exercise these principles, you go, like, wow, this works. Well, that's what he's saying. He's saying the golden key, you know, is to know. It is to to rest in in faith, in a knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, not how it's going to work out, but just knowing that it will work out. Yeah. And that and that's where he's saying set your attention. When you can set set your attention on God, set it on source, that's when everything kind of quiets. No longer is it, oh, I got to do this or I got to do that or this is yet to come or I'll be happy when this is, you know, fulfilled or this becomes fruitful. It's eliminating all of that and it's just resting assured knowing, you know, all of those things will come to pass and then allowing them to unfold. Yeah. And we live in a beautiful time. Can you go back to um, when he was talking about this and lecturing on it um, back in the, uh, you know, 30s and uh, like up to 51 when he died? I'm not sure how far into the end of his life. He was only 65 when he died, but yeah, he died young. how far he was lecturing. But we have, we actually have the advantage of technology. So I can use an example that he didn't have the capacity to do, but he knew it um, to explain to somebody else. But look at a GPS system. It's a great example. So a GPS component, I'm just basically made of two components. One is the actual, the system that you have, like say it's your phone. It's a physical item of it. It has a receiver in it and a transmitter in it. But then there's a satellite, and the satellite will be your spiritual self. Well, the satellite can see the whole globe, so to speak. But it also sees where you are and then the coordinates of where you want to go. So if I want to go somewhere, I have to go into my great imagination. This is giving it to God. And then see myself already there. So... When I go into my uh, GPS and say I want to go to like uh, Santa Barbara and I'm in, you know, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, I have to see the place I have to go. You know, I could go on Google and see it like, oh, this is a nice hotel. I'm going to stay here. Yep. And also when I actually put the directions in, it shows a blue dot where I am and this blue line. And then it shows a red pin to where I have to go. So it creates a triangulation of it. I don't have to do anything. I gave it up to God, so to speak. So right now to explain is, you know, most people trust their GPS unwaverly. But when you say give yourself to God, like, ah, I got to take over. Like, do you realize that the GPS is a mere, 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 mere fractal of how the universe actually works to us? We've just been taught so backwards. Yeah, but that's all. We've been taught, like, oh, you got to see it break down. You got to see the physical aspect of it for you to believe it or to buy into it. But back in the day, you had to have the actual experience. Like, oh, my God, maybe... In that day, I just gave it up to God and it worked out. But right now, we can explain it through technology. This is how it actually works. And we have a higher system in us, a uh, guidance system. That's what we call the piece of us that, that's uh, touched to God. And that GPS system um, that we have, yes, there's physical attributes of it. But then there's also there's other energy attributes of it. And that's the higher self will let me know. So I have a higher self in me that's directly connected to this God source. And if I want to go somewhere, I don't need to pull out an old map. 
I just give the directions, but I have to see myself already having what it is I want to experience in order to generate the energy to get there. And when I do, it, what happens is it levels me higher up on the mountain to see how it's going to work out. It doesn't just smack you in the face. When anything, journey comes along. You can see the signs. So when, the, when, when you come to your fruition of the um, thing you were trying to um, experience, it was became at right before you stepped onto the beach, so to speak, in Santa Barbara, you saw it was a next logical step because along the way you saw signs that said Santa Barbara, but you weren't there yet because it might have said 60 miles away. So you were already acclimated the time you got there. It wasn't like you're driving, 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 boom, there's Santa Barbara, <laughs> you know. Um, the, the world shows you signs um, so you don't have to be guessing all the time. But when you start out, you have to have utter faith in the systems that will get you there. And people do it with the GPS. So, you know, one day we won't need a GPS. We'll just be fully working on a higher consciousness, a higher self, and you can get it any way you want in the world. One thing I always remind myself, too, is everything I'm experiencing that's going on is a delayed re- reaction, if you will, of what I have, information <laughs> I've put in and I'm now experiencing. Yeah. So, like, that's a big thing, too. Remember, like... Me walking into this house, into Frank's house, into this room, you know, is a delayed reaction of. Uh, you envisioned it a yeah, week ago. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing and observing myself play out, and yeah. that's like a big uh, detaching factor that that helps. <laughs> You, you know, know? So, sometimes I wish I could observe that way before I'm ready to say something stupid to Karen. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey. I need I need a long Frank needs a longer time delay. I need like, a shit. longer delay because when it was just coming out of my mouth, I can know I'm like this is not going to work out. <laughs> this but is yet not it just came out, out. <laughs> <laughs> like shit. <laughs> this is not going to yeah. work out. But yet That's the time so I need a longer time delay. That's all I got is. <laughs> <laughs> you need a longer delay. Yeah. So, but truly, so picture that, guys. When you're yeah. working through, remember this is a delayed reaction. You it, know what's going on. And it, if you don't see what you you know put in, don't don't fear, don't stress. It just hasn't come to be yet. Hey, have you ever experienced deja vu? Absolutely, hundred percent. Right. So Especially I, when I was a kid. Yeah, I did a lot as a kid. So deja vu, the way it was explained to me, which is pretty, it's interesting. I've heard different ways, but this way I enjoyed. It's like you're actually setting the consciousness. um, It's almost like making the movie and watching at the same time, where most people just, they make the movie and then watch it after it's made. But deja vu is you're actually creating the situation, circumstance you're in, at the same time you're in the moment, so there is no delay. That's why it's like, I've been here before. Well, you wrote the script at the same time you were actually acting it out, yeah. where before it was you're writing the script and then you act it out so you don't have a memory of it. Yeah. But yet, you know, I made it to the grocery store because I wanted uh, some popcorn. Yep. You know? No, I see exactly what you're saying. That's a great example. Yeah, I don't even eat popcorn. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I don't even eat I like popcorn. Well, the only time I eat popcorn is I go to movies. I was going to say. I never eat it at home. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. just like, you know, it it's totally like, a movie isn't it funny how like, you can only eat things certain places like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. I don't I don't crave it at all. I go to movies like I need some popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh, it's the uh, the nostalgia, you know, the the yep. feeling of it, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. We, we we live a lot of our life based on things like that. What yeah. reminds us of certain feelings from when we were a child or when we were, you yeah, know, with it's our called families. subliminal messaging. Yeah, right. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. that too. And the more conscious we become, then you could choose to have the popcorn or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't go to the movies. <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> I say uh, we jump into the next clip. The answer is that we have the key to life. 
we do not just approach life from a particular angle as other schools of healing do. We have the key to life, and that key, and that key is that life is a state of consciousness. The explanation of all your problems, the explanation of all difficulties, and the explanation of your triumphs in life boils down to this. Life is a state of consciousness. That is the beginning and the end. That is the final step in metaphysics. All the other steps lead up to that. Isaac Pennington, a Quaker, said, All truth is a shadow, but the last truth. And the last truth is that life is consciousness. You are, and you have, and you do, in accordance with your consciousness. That is the beginning and the end. There are other ways of looking at life which are superficially correct. But ultimately, the final truth is that your state, your life, is a state of consciousness. Your so-called physical body is the embodiment of a part of your consciousness. Your home is the embodiment of another part of your consciousness. The kind of work you are doing, whether you are in work which you love or work which you hate, is the expression of your consciousness at that point. The kind of people you meet, and the people you attract into your life, are the expressions of your consciousness about your fellow human beings. If you came to me and told me that you can't get along with people, I would tell you to get a card about the size of a postcard and write this on it. Like attract like. Then put it inside your closet, where other members of your family won't see it, because when you are grumbling and finding fault, they could point their fingers, which would be very embarrassing. So put your card inside the closet. People come to me and say, if you only knew the kind of family I have, if you only knew the kind of people I have to be with and work with, I say, the law of being says, like attracts like. The ultimate explanation is that life is a state of consciousness. Unless you change your state of consciousness, nothing else can change. All trouble, all disappointment, all depression, all limitation is a state of consciousness. People are trying to change outer conditions, but leaving their consciousness unchanged, and it cannot be done. All right, so this theme permeates throughout all the things that uh, Perspective Shift talks about. Absolutely. And it's the law of attraction. And what I've learned is, because <laughs> in the past I used to do this, um, when I'm, like, I utilize that list for myself. I don't tell people, like, when they complain to me, I'll suggest it to them, but... Um, because a lot of times people don't don't take it well, and if if you start off on the wrong foot, it's it's how you present something that can uh, get people to listen. But um, a lot of times I hear people complain, um, unless they're you know asking me for advice. A lot of times they're not; they're just wanting to be heard. I don't really intervene unless I really know the person and I find an opening, and I do it very gently. Unless it's with Karen, I don't know why I do that, but. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I realize like what isn't like what am I like in other words if someone if I have people that constantly come to me and complaining I'm like what am I doing that attracting these complaining people so getting them to stop complaining it, it that's it doesn't work so a lot of times these practices and principles when I first learned about them I would go to people oh, this is what you need to do this is what you need to do and the truth was it was presented to me not to them. So when I found these, like I'm attracting a lot of people that uh, are angry. So I'm like, I'm going to try to get them not to be angry. I'm like, well, why are you attracting them? 
Like, I'm, and that's you're question. playing against yourself. Yeah. So unless you like trying to fix problems, which I don't, um, I really don't. I just uh, it's not that I avoid them. I just want to rearrange them. You know. Um, but I have to rearrange my mind and the way I think about it and feel about it, and all of a sudden it changes. You know. So when you roll up the the blinds, you can actually see the sun. But when it's down, the sun's there, but I can't see the damn thing. Well, I, like you were saying, this this uh, clip, this statement, you know, by uh, Emmett Fox is at the crux of everything. All spiritual, um, you know, especially new thought teachers, uh, but everything that we're getting at, which is ultimately life is consciousness. Life is an expression of our consciousness. And so knowing that, how we uh, choose to steer the consciousness, you know, and what we're, you know, feeling, what we're putting into, you know, the experience is, is a direct result of how we experience it and how we um, go about our daily lives, if you will. So if you've got, or when I began to learn these concepts and dive into them, like Frank was just saying, I started to see different um, uh, common common factors amongst things happening, you know, certain things coming up, et cetera. And I use those scenarios to learn what, you know, what am I afraid of or where, where am I coming from a place of lack? Why am I continuing to experience this type of experience? And this changes the entire way that you interact with this uh, world and what we call reality. Now, when you're um, out and about, you know, uh, you you wouldn't allow yourself to, you know, um, get caught up in a, you know, a petty little fight, you know, at the at the gas station with somebody over, you know, um, whose gas pump it is, etc. You, you no longer interact and play into these little scenarios and think that the outside world is happening to you. You realize that the outside world is simply a reflection of you. And so you interact very different when you understand that your state of consciousness sets the stage for the show. Yeah. And also, too, like, you know, like when we came into this world, when we were young, we had this childlike state where we were very much in our imagination. Um, we didn't necessarily outwardly express it and talk about it because we weren't intellectually uh, sound with it. But there was something that, like, I've talked to people of um, all walks of life, uh, grew up in harsh uh, situations, but they still peer into that time where, like, wow, like, yeah, bless you. Um, where they felt this subtle calmness, even in in their uh, in their tyranny, and when they look back at the life they have. So I believe when we get to this point where someone like an Emmett Fox is talking about this stuff, I think part of going being a human is going through that, trying to you know rearrange the outside world, and failing is what teaches us to choose something else and go into the energy, the spirit rather than the physical. No, you're right because I ran up against wall yeah. after wall after wall yeah. when yeah. I didn't when I wasn't aware of what I was you know participating. Yeah, in. so it helps you now. It's like okay, this isn't working. What will work? And you go into the energy field. But so when you start focus on the energy, what we call the white horse um, from his analogies of the uh, apoc- you know the hor- four horsemen of the apocalypse. Bless you. Sorry, he's attracting that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I was trying not to. Yeah, like, ah, yeah. Right. Let it sneeze. Who cares? You know, it doesn't matter. It's a human thing, right? Right. Um, but now, what I understand is, um, 
as I keep shifting, there's always things I have to let go of. But what I'm letting go of wasn't necessarily bad. It's just no longer going to work in um, the time. It's like almost every time someone um, sells a house and moves it to another house, well, they get rid of some stuff. It doesn't mean it was bad. They're just done with it. But if you try to take everything the next thing you're your storage unit, your two your four car garage is full with a bunch of shit. Yep. You know? Um and you're trying to take everything with you, it's, it becomes a hassle. But so when I start to examine every day my world and okay, what thoughts and what uh, activities or whatever it is do I need to drop, it doesn't mean they're bared they were bad. It means they no longer serve me. But they did serve me. Even focusing on the outside world served me to a point to get me to here. So I don't condemn that either. I don't feel bad about it. Um, I don't, I'm not a historian in my own life. Like, how can I go back and change that? I'm like, you can't. But just move forward. But was it problematic? No, it was problematic because I didn't let go of it in time. But now it's like, okay, when I sense the problematic aspects coming up, I, I just let go of it. I don't uh, think about it. Like, why did I choose that? Like that becomes problem, you know, it becomes exhausting. Why did this happen? Let's re-examine it. And like history is there for for me. History is there to show us what doesn't work. Well, and you also start to realize, like, every time you're breaking something down like that, all you're doing is creating and writing a narrative that allows your mind to follow. Um, nothing unless you accept it and, and claim it exists. And so these yeah. stories that we tell ourselves about like, oh, you know, uh, your hero's journey or the type of person you are and all this stuff, you'll you'll begin to see that every single one of those stories is simply a narrative that you've carried with you your whole life. And that's why a lot of people have trouble dating and whatnot is they feel like they need to bring all of their pain and all of their stories and, like with them and carry them on their shoulder and then tell every new partner <laughs> yeah. about all their pain <laughs> and, and like um, everything that's wrong with them and, and all this stuff as if that is them when yeah. none of that is them and they could let go of that sack of shit. <laughs> yeah. No problem at all. And just start living in that moment of yeah. this is who I am. Yeah, exactly. But also too, it's like, you know, we just we, 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 we all, live as a narrative. Yeah, we all do. And but the thing is, choose a narrative in which fits you because you cannot get through the world. It's like trying to write a book without a narrative. You need a narrative. That's true. But so, but we choose that narrative. Yeah, it, it's a preferential narrative. So like even going back to the whole idea of um, like <laughs> Mike is not suggested by any means. You get you go on a first date. So um, uh, have you ever dated before? Were you ever married? Well, let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that look kind of perspective shift. Said it's not necessary to talk about that. Let's no, move no, forward. No, that's yeah, not yeah, what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but what happens is um, in the past when I had relationships, and, um, and again, they worked and then they didn't work, mm -hmm. um, type of thing. But what I've learned to do over the years is I I create a narrative to where it was light. Like in other words, um, if if you're dating somebody and every relationship you had, you're knocking the person in which you left, you're actually sending a message to this person. Am I going to be the next on this list of Straight being up. knocked? But if you can gently tell a different narrative without like lying to yourself, like it's not lying. Like, yeah, everything worked out till it didn't. You know, this we just grew apart and this and that and you tell a funny story. All of a sudden there seems to be promise moving forward. So it's not that you don't. What narrative are you going to choose to tell the story? Is it a horror one? Well, if you keep telling the horror one, this one will turn into horror. 
what like attracts like. That's what Emmett Fox is just telling us. So exactly. what story am I going to tell about the ex yep. now that's different than the past before? I'm like, okay, I'm going to have a completely different narrative. It's going to work in my favor. I'm going to be light about it and joke about it, you know. And, um, you know, all of a sudden I chose that narrative in order to give a synopsis. And now all of a sudden the person's like, okay, I like this person's narrative. I like the way they go. Exactly. And all of a sudden you broaden your perspective. And if they don't, they don't complaining. You just did yourself a huge favor. Well, and think about all yeah. the people, you know, they'll tell you these stories. Oh, my God, my ex and this yeah. and that. And, like, dude, that is the biggest, like, red flag for anybody. They're just, they're like, oh, God, this person doesn't know that this is all about them, you know? And so... The, it's self-projection. Yeah, yeah, people, guys, there's a reason people pick up on these types of things. And it's because it's... um. It's very evident, you yeah. know, like <laughs> and, and, what we describe as red flags are actually just, hey, you're not taking responsibility for the role you play. Yeah. And most people maybe not deeply into because I've heard people talk about stuff like they'll quick to t- say that that person's a sociopath, a psychopath. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, listen, unless you're a psychoanalyst or, or um, you know, um, a, a psychologist, stuff like that, don't be throwing those words around, by the right. way. But they uh, they also have an understanding of uh, where people are coming from more than they did in the past. So they don't take people's word for it. But I, I love people like, oh, that person's a sociopath. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, I could be labeled a sociopath too, you know. Like for like, that's yeah. what this is. Yeah, but it's not about putting on to somebody else because that's a narrative they want to say to feel better than the other person or get over on the person. And, you know, in the past, I've done that, you know. Of course. Um, it didn't have. help me at all. So I don't need to knock somebody else. I don't know that other person. I have to make sure I'm not a sociopath. Um, and I, you know, and the way I do that is my, whenever I do something, it not only includes my preference, but it also encumbers everyone else's preference too. There is a way to do that, unify. You know, if I unify and look around me, okay, like if you're on a team, me doing this play will affect, will it just put me on the spotlight or I'll put my team on the spotlight? And if it puts my team on the spotlight, well, I'm on the team, so I'm on the spotlight. Mm-hmm. If you can do that simultaneously, which we can, um, and a lot of times, too, is it's going back to the understanding where he's talking about when you've put your focus on God, something outside or actually when you take yourself, what it's really saying when you put yourself, your focus on God, what, you're re- what he's also saying is take yourself off your uh, ego. When I take myself out of the ego, it actually works out for everybody. But if it's my ego, I need this, I have to get this over this. Once I get this, then I can be friends with you. Once I get this, then I can take care of you. But I can take care of, if I go into that energy field of God, everyone around me is taken care of. And actually, as they study this too, is when you start doing stuff, when you actually give for the greater good, you will help expand the universe and even the people around you where I imagine it happens with me, like somebody around me or in the close vicinity of me or maybe across the world. I don't know because quantum physics shows that particles can respond at the same time and they can be all the way across the universe. Light years apart. Light years apart, yeah. But somebody out there could have had this like, pure thought and it, it triggered me because I was awake at the time and it amplified me. I don't know. It, 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 I don't know the causation of this. There's correlations though I do know. So I work within the field of correlations, and the correlation is if I set forth the right foot, the right foot will be met. 
But if I set forth the wrong foot, the wrong foot will be met. Which one do I want to be met? And I'm like, this one. Okay, this one includes everyone. There's no competition. There's no none of this. It's, you know. Um, and even in, in what we call fun or sport competition, that has to be met with collaboration first. Because you can't start a sport out without the collaboration of understanding what the rules are. Mm-hmm. So, when you, you know, you can only have a good sport if you have a set of rules that everyone agrees upon. And that's what this experience is. It is. Yeah. This experience yeah. is a good sport. Yeah. That's what we're here doing. Here's your set of rules. Okay. You got something called gravity. Okay. You got something called the law of attraction. Yeah. What you're putting out, you're going to experience back. Yeah. We're, we can choose to play by these rules or we can pretend the world's happening to us. Yeah. And that's, and if you, in any circumstance situation, you, um, at least your control is do as the Romans do when in Rome. When you do that, you have a great time. But if you go to, you know, you go to a foreign place, somebody else's house, you try to take over. I can tell you right now, it's not going to work because you're thinking of just yourself. So when you're invited over to somebody's house for dinner, you don't tell them what to cook. Well, I imagine some people do, but it doesn't really come across well. But when you actually just go there and like, okay, this is going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. You got to learn something new. And also now you're just going to add to it rather than detract from it by saying, I don't like this. And why don't you like it? You've never had it. You know, or the way you had it at the time, what, like, you know, certain things I didn't like when I was a kid because I was a different frequency setting. And I think it was because my parents would jam it down my throat, <laughs> like broccoli, like shit. Like, oh, God. My dad's like, how do you know you don't like broccoli? I'm like, I could just tell I don't like it. I can tell I can by how it tell. looks. And then he forced me to eat it. I'm like, see, I was right. I don't like it. You know, <laughs> now, I, now I, I love broccoli. broccoli yeah. yeah. But it, it was just funny. So I don't know what was the uh, correlation there, but... Um, I do. It was you had to eat it. Yeah, perhaps you know you have to do this. Yeah, and it, that's that natural inclination yeah, I didn't we all have, have. That I don't need to do anything. See, maybe if my parents made me eat chocolate cake, it would have <laughs> worked in their advantage. You're a eat all the eat that damn cake. <laughs> you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, somehow I don't think that would have worked on their behalf. So uh, <laughs> they had to hide the freaking chocolate cake from me. Is what they did. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, Got another here, clip? Yeah, we have another clip. Let's check this one out. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what is God like? We are told to pray by turning away from the pro- problem and thinking about God. But how are we to think about God? What is his nature? What is his character? Where is he? Can we really contact him? And if so, how? The first and most fundamental thing to realize is that God is not just a superior kind of man. Most people would say, of course not. But my experience shows me that even today the majority of people, in their hearts, do think of God as just a magnified man, an extraordinarily wise man, a man of infinite power, but still a man. Now, such an idea is really but a projection of their own personalities and it requires very little thought to show that such an idea cannot be true. In philosophy, such a being is called an anthropomorphic god, from anthropos, man, and morphe, form, see Webster. And no such finite person could possibly have created the boundless universe that we see through our telescopes, or the infinite variety of minute forms that we contact through the microscope to say nothing of the infinite creation of which we are still altogether unaware. God is infinite, which is infinite or unlimited. Reflect upon this every day of your life, 
and a lifetime will not be long enough to grasp all that it means. A great practical difficulty in discussing God is the fact that we have no suitable pronoun to employ. We have to use the words he and him. We have no alternative, but these words are very misleading because they inevitably suggest a man or male. To say she and her would be equally absurd, and the word it, besides seeming to lack in reverence, suggests an inanimate and unintelligent object. Yeah, it kind of precipitates trying to define God. That's what I liked about that, even though we talked about that earlier. It's the <clears> infinite. Yeah. And yeah, and, and when you're in when you're in a setting with yourself, and again, a lot of times in the Bible they do say man, but I think they're encumbered in both men and women <clears throat> in that. Um, in that, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We live in a world now where that um, the gender pronoun is very heightened right now, mm -hmm. um, um, and it's it's interesting. Man means man and woman. Anytime yeah. it's referenced in the Bible. Yeah. So, but it's not male. But but with God, you can't even put it in that category. I, I feel like okay, so. A lot of how we experience life is a collective consciousness, okay? So, like, how a lot of us have been taught well, that something is. that's the only way is. we experience yeah. life, yeah. Well, but, like, we we can, you know, step outside of this collectiveness, you know, and experience the the, the wholeness that we, we have. Yeah. Uh, but what I mean is, like, um, so if we're all looking as at, at man you know as this and we and we look at man as something that's powerful or something like that and we call it the father this is how we've we've labeled a feeling of of immensity of strength of you know etc and we've kind of like uh, assigned a masculine type of feature to it just because of the immensity that was simply a way that it was um, trying to be described so people could understand and share in the 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 strength and the the uh, the bountifulness. You know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't uh, oh this person you know is biologically a male. No, it never and, was. Yeah, and, and father and mother uh, stem from a fractal of understanding because um, so if we're children of God, then God is uh, the father and the mother and. Um, every child that looks, and we talk about fractals, you look at the how a child looks, they look up to the parents to take care of them. And then eventually the parents and the child become one. And what I mean is they're at the same point where they can relate to it. So um, when they call God the Father, uh, what they're really saying is it's the one to look towards wherever you're at. So we do it, like when you're young, you, do, you look through God through your, what you call your biological parent, whether it's your mother or father for the answer but you really look into god as you get older you realize yeah it's all right here yeah the attribute that my my parents have such as their personality isn't going to give me the answer i have to go beyond the personality and so so everything is used from a parable or a paradox not a paradox but a parable or a um a fractal of an understanding of how things work out so that's why they use father um a lot of times for god the father and stuff Exactly. Um, but, you know, you could say parent because, you know, um, doesn't matter if it's your mother or father, you're looking up to them for the answer. That's it. Yeah. And and I and I like that. So when you start to look at that, try like people got caught up in terminology and stuff. And this is where we, you know, um, like I, I like I have fun having discussions on it. But at the end of the day, if it's not going to grow or expand, I'm like to me, it becomes pointless. I'm like you can have your conversation, whatever, but people get hung up on stuff. 
They get hung up in the definition of the meaning rather than the story that's trying to be told here. Because you can never put your finger on this. And it's also where you're coming from. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, Because exactly. a lot of people... What's my intention? Yeah, come yeah. from the place of, I don't agree with that, so therefore I will prove it wrong. When you're coming from a, a place that defined, there's no answers that will appear to you that will make sense or allow you to see. The mind has been made up. And that's why, you know, we have scientifically proven that once what we observe... We, we experience. And so if we're observing for us to to um, uh, defend our, our belief or to make the other person wrong, the only thing we will experience are things that support that. Yeah. And I've learned, and you, just, you, you gain this over experiential, experiential time, is that I had so many truths in my life that I come to a conclusion. The only t- real truth is that all things are true. And even the truth I have, like of, uh, say, my age, like I was once 18, I had to let go of that truth because that's no longer here. So that was a, considered to be a half-truth. But the, the, the empirical truth is, yes, I'm going to be many ages throughout my lifetime, um, you know, and one I'll just descend on. Um, so there is truth in that moment, but the empirical truth goes so much deeper than that and so when when you go to the empirical truth, it's like going to God. If you start out a conversation at the empirical place, you'll have fun with the half-truths. But if you start from the half-truth, you get into such disagreement, and it's very interesting because most what people call the true are more opinions and perspectives onto the empirical truth than the actual truth itself. And so like me and Mike are talking about a different way of looking at even Emmett Fox and somebody else presented Emmett Fox. So slightly, you know, um, you can look at any way you any way you want. You're not wrong. But there's an essence that we're trying to get to where they're at the basis of everything, whether you're flying an airplane, driving a car or a bicycle, what allows this to happen is gravity and the understanding of gravity. Without gravity the plane wouldn't be able to be directed in the direction in which it wants to go. <laughs> Same with the car. But people argue over the car and it's better than the airplane. I'm like, no, it's just they're different. You know, I can't get any groceries with my airplane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with my airplane, like I have one. <laughs> my, airplane. <laughs> my airplane. Got it out in the back. <laughs> but, um, and that's kind of the point we're trying to make here. It's like, yeah, I'm like, have fun with that stuff. You know, one isn't better than the other because, but what's the underlining rudimentary understanding there? And of life, and there are there are these principles and laws that that are always endless and timeless, but yet what arises from that is a new experience in it. So yeah, that might be the half truth at the moment in which you're in, but you have to let go of that at, at some point. But arguing over it, I've I've seen arguments um, from people like you know 20 years ago, and now they don't even talk about it because it doesn't pertain. And you're looking, I'm like, well, why did you argue over that? Like, it was direct. And I don't know, it's something like we want to be right. And I know that because I always wanted to be right. And I realize there's nothing to be right about, um, in essence, over somebody else. I can be right at the moment in which I'm in. But I'll never be right over somebody else. It's absurd. That's where the intellect gets involved. Like the black horse, if, you, if you're if trying to be right over someone intellectually, you, you're going to get taken down. And, and there's like... 
multiple rights. Like two things can be right that are contradict. There's so many layers to tell this. that to Karen. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the truth, you know. And I was just watching. I can't remember. I was watching something on Gaia recently about this. But like, we're living in such a multi-dimensional world that like that the that two opposites can be right at the same time, depending upon how they were, you know, measured in that sense. Yeah. So like to think that there's only one right way or one wrong way or everything's black or everything's white it is foolish and it's why we're so tired and why we're not finding happiness is yeah. we're we're trying to beat a game that's not beatable we're trying to play along with something that was never meant to be taken seriously yeah and so the, what i've learned to do it's not this or that it's this and that yep and when you look at uh everything in life it's like there is like people are always trying to choose you know um whether it's politics is a Republican or, or lib- I mean a conservative <clears throat> a Republican or a Democrat, a conservative or liberal I'm like well you look at it, those are two balancing points on the scale I'm like you can't you can't you take one off it tips and I, I'll tell you what if the boat tips to the left or it tips to the right, we're all getting wet and we yeah. all drown I'm like it doesn't matter what side it tips but the the most common I mean the most intelligent thing about the physics is when you go into the middle into the center and you sway back and forth the boat will stay afloat and so we learn to sway in and out of this fluctuation of this world because rhythm is what <laughs> creates life the crest and the trough play a huge part in our life and they always moving along the stream nothing remains the same nothing is still. But yet, people are trying to create a stagnation of ideas. This is right. That's wrong. I'm like, yeah, not really. That might be right for you in the moment in which you're in. So you can claim that, but don't claim it uh, broadly and try to deem somebody else wrong because it will fail you every time. Your right is your right. But it doesn't have to dismiss somebody else's right as well. And I get, guys, you know, it's this isn't the easiest concept because you've got this ego mind saying, well, what about this? You know, well, well, is murder is murder wrong? You know, is murder right then? You know, what about killing people? And it's like, well, actually, yes, that's something our country trains day in, day out our soldiers to do. And do we call our soldiers murderers? No, we don't. So, no. guys, you can take this and manipulate all you want, but there is no such thing as right or wrong. Yeah, but we actually now we train the, train the soldiers to get in situations where they don't have to murder oh of course yeah. well we're starting to see that yeah oh my gosh we've been killing for so long this is ridiculous yeah and, and, and we should the, never be yeah. killing yeah but but we're at a vantage we're hurting point ourselves yeah but we're at a vantage point where we know it doesn't work yeah so in the moment in time when someone's doing something who am i like i'm not a monday quarterback type of guy i'm like you know the quarterback and the coach made the play and if it didn't work out they'll learn from it next time but they oh they should have done this i'm like you know what, if you spend your life saying they should have done this, they did this wrong, I'm like, you get nowhere. Mm-hmm. Because unless you're doing that to yourself, and if you are doing it to yourself, it's going to be a miserable freaking life. Yeah. We learn from our mistakes, and we learn from surprises. So I feel the, the greater we become, we learn more from surprises than mistakes. But mistakes are still very... <laughs> God knows I learn a lot from mistakes. <laughs> 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 well, oh, yeah. Let yeah. me let me leave us with this quote. This is one of my favorite quotes. I wrote this down that uh, was by Dr. Emmett Fox that I thought would be a good way to kind of wrap up the episode. But he says, "You are not happy because you are well. You are well because you are happy." Yeah. And I think that is uh, so powerful, so yeah. simple, and so easy for us all to take away. 
you be the state that you want to experience. You don't chase the state that you want to experience. Yeah, you don't. Re- yeah, you exactly. become it. Yeah, let's just leave it at that, people. No, absolutely. Well, yeah. Let me let me add this to it too, because one of the biggest things I heard Emmett Fox kind of go back to, and I've heard countless teachers go back to, is you know in Psalm forty six, I believe it's forty six ten. It is be still and know that I am God. And this is one of my favorite, you know, uh, excerpts from the Bible. But we see this be still, this stillness come up in every teacher, yeah. whether we're talking about uh, Maharashi, whether we're talking Buddhism, about Taoism, yeah, yeah, everyone. Yeah. Be still and know that I am God. It's when you go into this quiet knowing, this not mind racing, monkey mind, etc. It's that knowing place. That's when you'll experience God. And that's what he's getting uh, at here. You know, you're not going to be happy uh, because you're well. You need to find yourself as happy, and then you will experience it as well. There you go. All right, this is another episode of Perspective Shift. If you like what you've seen, hit the uh, subscribe button down below. If you have any comments, please send them there. If you'd like us to cover any other person in this realm, we shall. Uh, we will we'll do it. All right. Appreciate the uh, right. message, Thomas. Yeah, and also to email is uh, perspectiveshift2020 at gmail.com. We'll see you guys next week.